0: Well, I want to be an artist, and I think you should too. Sure, I'd love to make art like Picasso, or make music like Bach. I'd love to have the skill of Frida Kahlo, or even the delivery of Jerry Seinfeld on occasion. I'd love to have the eye of Joni Ive, or the ear of someone like Gustavo Dudamel. That list goes on. I've merely skimmed the surface. I don't have those gifts, and you probably don't either. That's okay. We can be mediocre together. (laughs) No, I'm not as fashionable or as much of an expert as any of the famous artists that I've just mentioned. And even as I dream it up, it's probably not possible for me to drop everything and to go become the next best folk musician of the 21st century on par with the Lumineers. It's not in reach. It's not who I am. And it's not who I need to be. I've been made with an eye for something else, and I believe you have too. One of my new favorite authors is named Seth Godin, and he redefined what art is for me. Now, there's a lot of different definitions of art out there, and for me, art isn't where my personal background is. I just think God cares a lot about it, and so that's why I wanted to talk with you about it this morning. So I wanted to share his definition with you. He writes this. He says, I define art as having nothing at all to do with painting. Art is a human act, a generous contribution, something that might not work and it is intended to change the recipient for the better, often causing a connection to happen. Now for Godin, he sees art as a gift. He sees art as a contribution to society, which isn't about the self, which isn't about money, which isn't about the praise that you might receive. Art is a gift that we can give to other people in an attempt to enhance and change their lives. Now we can't give Picasso anything in return for his revolutionary art, his paintings. We can't thank Van Gogh or Monet or Michelangelo or hardly anyone else for that matter. You can tweet at Beyonce all you want, but she probably won't respond. And the reason is it's because they didn't do it for the praise. They didn't do it in order to be praised by you. Their art was a gift. It was about something far greater than themselves. Now, each one of us has the potential to be an artist as well. Each one of us, at least in some little way, has the ability to make a gift for other people that isn't about us. Not sure how? Well, some of you are in IT, right? You know the code. You know the software. You know everything you need to know in order to do your job perfectly well. That's great. You can also, though, identify the gaps in your system. You can also be able to see, you know, there's something here. This is working, but it's not quite right. There's gaps in every little job that we do. The artist is someone who can identify those gaps and then fill them. The artist is somebody who sees the gap and says, now I want to go and do something about that. I'm going to take some risks and I'm going to do my best to be able to create something, a gift to the world around me. Others of you are in the restaurant business or the service industry, perhaps. You know that you could simply take the next customer's order like you always do and just kind of be a cog in the machine, perhaps, and just thank them for coming, and that's that. One transaction over. But have you ever been to a restaurant where your waiter or waitress is just abundantly present with you? They make it feel like you've known them for like 20 or 30 years. They've just had some kind of an experience where you're like, man, I belong here. I want to be here. This is my restaurant. I'm coming back. That's the kind of art that we can offer. Now, for me, I have the privilege to give these odd messages every now and then. And you come to hear us talk at you for some odd 30 minutes or so. And I have the privilege to open up the Bible and share what I've learned and offer it to you as a gift. Although tithes are very much so appreciated at the same time. So, thank you. Um, But I have a passion to share the gifts that I've received with you. And I hope it can be some kind of an art itself. The reality is, is that you can be an artist. But you must find the thing that you have a natural aptitude in. And to make it your art But this kind of art that I'm talking about this morning has to be made in such a way that it operates as a gift for other people around you. Before I get too far in, I want us to dive into our passage today and see what the Bible has to say about this. In our passage that we're going to today, we're going to be traveling back a while. We're going to be headed into a bit of an obscure passage from the book of Exodus. And the reason we're going here is because I think it relays what I want to communicate in a decently profound and helpful way. But before we go there, I'd like to pray. Would you join me? Father, I thank you that you have given us the ability to see things and to want to improve upon them. I thank you that you have created us to be creators. Lord, as you are creator of all things, I thank you that you give us a desire to create small things as well. As being your image bearers. That we are to go and do likewise. And I ask that this morning, Lord, that you would speak uniquely and powerfully to each person in this room. That you would spark imaginations this morning. Father, that this congregation would dream dreams and see things that they want to act upon as they exit from this place and move forward into this next week. But for now, I ask that you would speak through me and do what only you can do. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. All right, so we're headed into the book of Exodus. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Exodus, let me just sketch it out super briefly for you, okay? About 4,000 years ago, the nation of Israel was being held as slaves in Egypt, and they grew to become this huge amount of people. And Egypt gets scared. There's so many people, they get a little, yeah, scared about it. So they make conditions really bad on Israel, and they make their slavery even worse. God sends this guy named Moses, all right? Moses helps lead the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea into a new home. And as Israel is preparing to enter into their new home, the Lord gives them the Ten Commandments, right? You with me so far? Okay, so God doesn't stop there at the Ten Commandments. We often think, okay, that's it. He's teaching them how to live. But there's more. What God does next... He gives them several chapters worth of unique instructions, which may feel very foreign to us. But what God is doing is God is instructing Israel to create a giant piece of art. They're responsible to create a place called the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is the place where God will be worshipped. That's where we're headed. The tabernacle is the portable structure, as you can see on the screen there, which preceded the temple. And the tabernacle is the place where God himself would choose to dwell, where his presence would exist for the people of God. And in our passage today, like I said, it's a bit obscure. I wouldn't be surprised if you've never read it before or heard about it. There's some weird names. There's some weird objects. But what I want you to focus on is why it is that God wanted Israel to be the ones to create the tabernacle. Why God wanted them to be the artist's. So would you turn with me in your Bibles or follow along on the screen to Exodus 31. Exodus 31 verses 1 to 11. All right. Exodus 31, 1 to 11 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Ohiliab, son of Ahasemach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, which is, the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I have commanded you. Now why on earth am I preaching from this passage? It's super weird. It's foreign to us and frankly it might not make a lot of sense. But right off the bat you have to see something. And that's that art matters to God. Art matters to God. And the reason that it matters to God is because it's an invitation from God to his people to make things which bring connection between God and between his people. God wanted his creation to create. He wanted them to make this tabernacle, and he wanted the right guy to do it. So God tells Moses, I have this guy named Bezalel, and I made him super artistic. He's your run-of-the-mill Frank Lloyd Wright, and he's going to make these objects which will help the nation of Israel worship me. He's going to make these objects which all have a particular function, which all have a particular purpose, and it will help all of Israel to worship me. So that's what's going on. But who is this guy? His name is Bezalel. And Bezalel is one of the unsung heroes of the Old Testament, in my mind. His name in Hebrew means in the shadow of God. And God is using Bezalel to create the tabernacle, which will actually harness the very presence of God himself. And so God wants Bezalel, who is an artist, to make this tabernacle with his own unique creative giftings, God is empowering Bezalel to create art using the gifts that Bezalel already possesses. Are you with me? Now, the first point that I want you to get today is that God empowers you to create. God empowers you to create good, God-honoring art. Think about this. God didn't make the tabernacle himself. He could have just created the tabernacle in the heavens in an instant and put it all together made it look perfect. And then thrown it down to the earth and said, hey, here's your tabernacle, right? He could have done that, but instead, he chooses to do something different. Instead, he wants to empower his creation to create a beautiful thing. He had all the power to create it himself, but instead, he wants his people to be the ones to do it. It's the same principle for us today. God will bless us with materials to create good things, and he challenges us to create them well. I think of the incredible story of this church that we're in. That God, as far as I know it, never told Chris, Chris, you need to plant this church or else everything else isn't going to work. That never happened. Instead, what happened, as far as I understand it, is that God had empowered Chris with unique giftings, with unique story, with unique desire to gather a bunch of people, yourself included, you're here this morning, to gather a bunch of people together and to be able to create a community which would glorify Jesus together. Chris was the one to pull the trigger. God empowered him to do so, though. The same thing can be true for you as well. There's a wide range of talent and gifting and ability in this room this morning. Some of you are entrepreneurial. You think like this naturally. We've had people in this church begin new business ventures. That's awesome. But some of you aren't, and that's okay too. And for those of you, you, you've been able to see unique particular gaps in your work. And you've been able to say, you know what? I think I can fix that. I think I can solve that. And nobody's asking me to do that. But I think that I can do it. And you're going to fill the gap and create art, create a gift for other people around you. It's just a matter of allowing God to empower you to do so. And in our passage today, see how God does this. Notice something fascinating about how God doesn't give anyone a map here. He doesn't give Bezalel or Ohiliab, his helper, or Moses the instruction manual on how to build some ancient Ikea tabernacle furniture, right? Instead, he says, here's some wood, here's some metal, here's some cloth, here's some stones. Now go make something beautiful out of it. God's giving them the materials. God empowered them to use their imagination to go and create it. God wanted them to use the gifts that only they themselves could use. He empowered them to be creative. Cool. But so what? Now, for us today, we don't have those blueprints. It's not our responsibility. At least it's not my responsibility to go to Egypt and create a tabernacle. I hope it's not your responsibility either. But for those of us today, it is our responsibility to bring goodness into this world and to create good gifts which bring glory to God, to create art. God has empowered you in your work. You know the gaps which are hidden in your company, right? You know the gap in your CRM or in your KPI. You know the gaps, and you have to make the right move, right? He's empowered you to create art in your relationships as well. Again, it's not just art isn't limited to just fine arts and painting and sculptures. He wants you to see that that argument that keeps coming up between you and your spouse. That can be solved, Through creative solutions. And he's given you a creative mind to be able to go and to create art. To create a gift to the other people around you and your relationships. To create art which brings connection to others around you. Now Seth Godin tells the story of a man responsible for creating something that no one ever asked him to create. This guy's name is Ed Seth. And Ed grew up building houses with his dad and eventually became a contractor himself. Ed was also a researcher, and he was deeply intrigued about the effects that a heavy hurricane, like Dorian, wind had on wood-framed houses. It's kind of a niche career. And he saw the effects of several different hurricanes in the Caribbean. And he knew he had the materials and the education to make a difference. Now, Ed started doing some research And he threw caution to the conventional wisdom which said that if you wanted to have a chance to survive a hurricane, you had to build a very expensive house with very expensive materials. The alternative was a cheap wooden house which would likely blow away the second a Category 5 came through. After one particularly destructive hurricane, though, Ed toured a town which had been ravaged by it. And he was struck when he saw something unique. As he was observing the damage... He said that in house after house, this is what he says, he said, I noticed that it wasn't the wood that had failed. It was the nails that held the wood together. For the next 11 years, Ed Sut researched, he risked, he practiced, he refined his art of creating the perfect nail. It was this insight that it was the nail that mattered and not the wood, which was the cause for his success. But his ongoing willpower to continuing the process of creating this perfect nail was the real key to his success. And Ed Sutt earned millions of dollars for his simple invention. But Ed is the kind of guy who didn't do it for the money, right? He created the perfect nail as a gift to other people. Ed Sutt is an artist because he gave his gift to the world. He just so happened to make it, that made him really wealthy, but that wasn't the goal. He wanted to create something which would change other people's lives. Save lives. And he created the snail as a gift to society. His art was a gift which connected him to millions of different people without hardly any of them knowing it. The second point that I want to make today is that art is about connection. Again, art for art's sake is really cool. It may look fun. It may be cool. But art is about connection. The best kind of art actually changes us. It connects us to something far deeper than what we had imagined at first. Now, my wife works at an art gallery in Westwood. Maybe some of you have been there. It's called Upside Down. I remember seeing art of various different qualities. Some of it, I got right off the bat. I was like, dang, that's good. And others, I was like, what is this thing? Like, why is this being on the wall? I don't get it. I'm not understanding how this piece of cloth, and fabric come together to make a piece of art. It doesn't make sense to me, right? And as I looked at the artist's statement on the wall and then at the piece of art, I realized that there was a deeper story at hand. I realized that there was an experience that this artist wanted to communicate to us through her art and through her fabric art, which just had a bunch of different letters and numbers on it, and it didn't make a lot of sense at first glance. What she was offering was an invitation to connect to her experience of being a woman in today's society. And it really, actually, was incredibly powerful. It connected me as an outsider to something greater than myself, into a story which had energy and momentum. Again, however, as I already said, art shouldn't be limited to just the fine arts, right? Just be limited to paintings and murals and sculptures and comedy. In order for art to be art, It often has to have a meaningful connection attached to it. It has to allow us to be transformed by it. Because as Godin says, and I agree with him, that art is a personal gift which changes the recipient. As we return to our friend Bezalel, we see that his art was meant to change an entire people group. He was creating a space which was where God himself was going to dwell and where the people of God would regularly meet with God. And Bezalel helped create the tabernacle, which was the meeting place, which changed how God and God's people were going to connect forever. Now, if we're setting out to make art which changes other people around us, then we have a greater task at hand than just lazily throwing some paint on some canvas and calling it art. Now, the guy who created that method was named Jackson Pollock, and I actually think he was an artist, kind of. (laughs) Um, I really, I actually enjoy Pollock, but... I think um, he kind of missed out on something. I think that there was something else that he missed. One of his most famous pieces is called Blue Poles. and It was an expression of himself longing to be free from the pains of a broken world after World War II and longing to be free from the bounds which limited him as a man. One art critic writes this of this monumental work says, abstract paintings like blue poles have a sensory or an emotional impact. They're lavish, explosive, vibrant, exuberant, furious, overpowering. The adjectives also describe Pollock himself, who proudly professed to be in his paintings. By that, he did not mean that he painted obscure self-portraits, but that his work reflected an experience in which the artist took an active part and remained as much of the painting as the paint himself, itself, Dennis Phillips. Now, Pollock had created a masterpiece on the world's standards. And as good as Pollock's masterpiece was, his point of connection largely ended with himself. It certainly made a significant dent and impact on the world around him. Don't get me wrong. He certainly impacted art history as we know it. But dare I say that it could have been more. Every time I look at it, I feel unfortunately fascinated but unchanged. I haven't been connected to something deeper in my life. And perhaps it's a sharp critique coming from a 23-year-old who never went to art school, right? But going back to Godin's definition of art, we see that, this, that true art is meant to be a gift to the world. The, this kind of art is worth more than the 20 to $100 million dollars that Blue Poles is estimated at today. The kind of art that I'm talking about this morning is a gift which connects you to something greater than yourself. Something far greater than Jackson Pollock himself. And our friend Bezalel understood this to be the case. He knew that what he was going to create would foster a connection which would far surpass the length of his life. The kind of art that I want to challenge you to create and you to think about creating is an art which connects you to the experience of others. The kind of art that is bigger than yourself. The kind of art is about a gift to the world around you. And here's where I deviate from Godin a little bit. And here's where I think you may really want to disagree with me, and that's okay, but hear me out. I think that the most meaningful kind of art that you yourself can produce should have a component of worship found within it. My third and final point that I want to make today, if you get anything from today, I want you to get this. Make art which qualitatively connects you to God. Again, make art, be creative, give a gift to the world, but do so not for yourself. Do it as an expression of worship to God and do it well. Let me clarify what I mean. There's two things that I'm talking about here. The first, in order to make art which truly operates as a gift and which enables other people and even yourself to connect with God, this kind of art usually has to have a really high quality associated with it. The best kind of art has supreme quality. This is because when art is good, we begin to see things from different perspectives, from different angles than we had previously considered before. Good art challenges our preconceptions and provides us nuance to something that we thought was actually quite simple. In order for art to be a lasting means of connection with God, it must possess a noteworthy quality to it. Bezalel didn't just put one rock here and one rock here and a third one and throw a slab of metal on it and say, hey, there's a the tabernacle. It's good, right? Right? Instead, what he did is he created a giant tent for God, full of intricate design. He cut stone without the tools that we possess today, and he made these intricate pieces of wood with design that had winged angels, a lot of hard work, and he did it incredibly well. And the reason we know he did it incredibly well is because it lasted for centuries. In order for art To be a lasting means of connection. It should qualitatively connect us to God. God says in verse 3, referring to Bezalel, he says this, I filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Clearly, God empowered a man who had skill to create a piece of art which demanded skill, right? Right? Now, for you, you have skills. You have aptitudes. And here at Pack City, we always say this. We say that everybody is a 10 at something. We, we genuinely believe that. We actually believe that you are a 10 in something. And If you don't know what that area could be, I want to challenge you to talk to your friends about it. Talk to the people who know you, who love you, and see what they think. And I want you to create art to create a gift to the world out of that place. Make art which qualitatively connects you to others and to God. Now, the second aspect of this point is about motive. When we make art in this way, it should aim to connect us to others and us to God and others to God because the best kind of art is worshipful. In Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin, which I've gleaned heavily from today, I was struck at his reasoning, as I understand it, behind why Godin calls us to make art. Godin believes that art is about connection Yes, I totally agree. He sees art as being a way to build a society that values progress and development. And again, I totally agree. But I think we can take it one step further than Godin does. We can make it about connection, and we can make it about benefiting a community around us. But we can go further, and we can make art as an expression of worship to God. But why would we want to do that? Why is that important? For Bezalel, this had to matter so deeply to him. He was responsible to create high-quality art, which would have an enduring function and legacy in God's relational connection to mankind and to his people. And Bezalel was creating art which would display God's glory, which would harness God's very presence, and which would act as the mediating atonement system until Jesus came onto the scene. Now, where most contemporary artists come up shy... I think Bezalel succeeds. Bezalel didn't make art for himself. He didn't make it for money. He didn't make it for the acclaim. He made it as an expression of worship to God. Now, let me be clear about something. I'm not saying... When I say that you need to make art that's worshipful, I'm not saying that you need to make explicitly Christian art. I need to say that. If you're a musician, I don't think you should be making art which has the name of Jesus in every song. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I I don't think that that is necessary. What I am saying is that I want us to create art that has a supreme quality to it. But that is also making space for God to be the one who receives the praise. Making space for God to be the one who is glorified at the end of the day. Making art as worship means giving a unique gift to the world around you from a place of worshipful intent. Making art as worship means making space for God to be glorified through the things that you create where this becomes distinct for us today is that we don't create art for our own glory. That's called idolatry. That's called pride. And as a pack city community, we want to create art which is founded in generosity, which is a blessing to our community, and which is an expression of worship. Now Bezalel created art as worship. Bezalel created art which connected God to his people. But friends, I want to close today by telling you about a greater artist than Bezalel. And his name is Jesus. What Jesus did was connect God with God's people in a perfect way. In a far better way than anything that Bezalel could have ever thought or imagined or created. Jesus lived as an artist in everything that he did. He was constantly finding the broken things of the world around him. And seeing how he could infuse beauty into those situations. Seeing how he could provide redemption in those situations. Seeing how he could give generous gifts to the world around him. To connect broken people to a perfect God. That was Jesus' mission. And that makes Jesus an incredible artist. And dare I say, the best artist. Now the gift that Jesus gives is relationship. He gives us a gift of love and a gift of connection in everything that he did. And what I want to invite us into this morning is seeing how you can go and how you can go and do likewise, how you can be an artist to the world around you. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team back up and everyone to stand this morning. That's cool. We're going to close up here, all right? Now, you won't be able to make the best kind of art possible because Jesus has already done that. What you can do, and what I believe God might be inviting some of you to dream up this morning, is to create a piece of art which is about loving other people around you. You know the gaps. And if you don't know the gaps in your company or in your relationships, you just got to look a little bit harder because they're there. You know the gaps. So my encouragement to you is find the gap. Find the broken piece of this world that you want to change and make art. Make it well. Make it as a gift to others and make it to connect other people to something far greater than yourself. My friends, make art as an expression of worship to God. In just a moment, I'm going to invite the prayer team forward as well. But before I do so, I just want to invite a group forward this morning. If this is you, I just want you to come up um, as you feel led. I feel led to create... um, this, This is for people who feel led to create a generous gift to the world around them. This is for people who want to create art. Who want to go out and do likewise considering what Jesus had done, considering what Bezalel had done, and who saw the broken things in this world, who you see the broken things in this world around you. You see the gaps in your company. You see the gaps in your relationships. You see the gaps in different spheres of your life. And you want to come forward today and you just want to pray. God, I want to to be able to create art. I want to be able to seek out connection. I want to be able to provide connections, to provide gifts for other people around me in this world. And if that's you, I just want to invite you forward this morning. This can be your first step towards creating a really powerful movement and moment. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are here this morning. I thank you that you provide us the best gift that we could ever receive, that you love us, that you know us, that you want us to go and do likewise, to be empowered to go and create beautiful things. It's really as simple as that, God, that you long for us to go out and to make beautiful things which help this world, which solve problems, which do what only you can do through us. We love you, Jesus, and we give this morning to you. Amen.